leaky gut is like the portal to many other chronic conditions in the body. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Vincent Pedre. Today, we're going to break down leaky gut and gut inflammation contributors and how they relate to mental health and chronic disease. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Vincent Pedre, who's the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness, nutraceutical consultant for Nature MD and Orthomolecular Products, CEO of Happy Gut Life, and a functional medicine certified practitioner in private practice in New York City since 2004. He believes the gut is the gateway to excellent wellness. As a best-selling author of Happy Gut, the cleansing program to help you lose weight, gain energy, and eliminate pain, featuring his proprietary blueprint for healing the gut, the gut care program, he has helped thousands around the world resolve their gut-related health issues. So welcome to the show, Dr. Pedre. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, we both must love blueprints because in my book back here, Your Longevity Blueprint, I'm comparing the foundation of the home to the gastrointestinal system in the body. So I'm sure you agree that our gut really is our foundation of health. Absolutely. I, I've, I've used many different terms, the root system. I've called it the cornerstone of our health. Yes. The gut is central and critical to so many things. And, and especially if we're thinking about longevity and brain health, the gut brain connection is, is just so important. And I want to dive into that and talk more about that today. But first, kind of tell me what got you so interested in the gut microbiome and just gut health in general as it relates to promoting health and wellness. So where does your story begin? Oh, geez. My story actually begins as a child that had a lot of gut issues, upset stomach, constipation. I was basically subjected to like round after round of antibiotics from around the age of 10 all the way through the end of my teenage years. I calculated that I was on 20 plus rounds of antibiotics during that decade. And as a result, I developed leaky gut. And because of a leaky gut, I then became sensitive to the top two biggest food groups in my diet, wheat, gluten, and dairy. And I little did I know that I was, you know, poisoning myself all through my 20s, not not realizing that the foods that I was eating were weakening my immune system, making me feel sick to my, my gut, having, you know, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, but not really understanding that it was connected to my diet. I often thought that it was related to stress, to my nerves. And yeah, that's one part of the picture, but there was this whole other part of the picture that I I wasn't fully getting. And I didn't quite get until I started learning about the gut microbiome and leaky gut and understanding why gluten might be bad for me. And that was a really huge decision in that I, in 2007, actually, when I decided to go gluten-free. Long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago, but it changed my life, gluten-free and dairy-free. And, and actually I'm still mostly gluten-free, like 99.9% and dairy. I only have seasonally over the summer months. And then the rest of the year, I won't have dairy because it weakens my immune system. And then I'm just more susceptible to viruses and colds. So 
a lot of what I do is to to keep my health optimized, and I think um, just being intuitive about it. But it was really, you know, if I think of that, I was basically patient zero with my gut issues, and through me seeing from my own experience what a powerful transformation can happen by changing the diet, by incorporating eating organic, making you know, being really keen about how food is sourced. And then starting to incorporate probiotics, fermented foods, varying the diet and seeing that gut healing can happen. And that what I thought was a life sentence of irritable bowel was actually something that I could resolve. I started working with patients on it and it was just me kind of like, almost like a hobby. Like I just thought it was fun. And whenever a patient came in with gut health issues, which up until that point, as a trained doctor, we only had a few magic tools to take out of our doctor bag. And then I go into functional medicine and there's all these different things. You might have yeast overgrowth. You might have SIBO. You might have an underlying parasite. We can do all this testing, can figure out what foods you might be sensitive to. And suddenly I have this giant toolkit of things that I could do with people. So I thought, you know, this is a lot of fun. And people would, my patients would get better and they would send a family friend, a family member or friend because they had gotten better. And so they recommend. And so before I knew it, I had become an accidental gut expert. I wasn't really planning on this, but it's kind of the way my life went. And I realized this is my passion. This is what I really want to dedicate myself to. And that finally led to me writing my book, Happy Gut. And that's kind of opened up the door, created the tidal wave that has brought me to so many places and done so many interviews uh, like your podcast and been on TV and done a lot of great things. Do you? So I have not read your book, but is there a happy ending there? Like, were you able to tell the audience, were you able to heal your gut after, you know, a decade of insult from antibiotics and what? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's an ongoing project, you know, so there, there's the recognizing that if I go out to a restaurant and say it's holidays and I decide I'm going to cheat or just be a little more lax on my diet, I know that I might pay for it in a sense. So I might not feel well for the next day. But what I can tell you is I recover like that. I can recover really fast. And that's what we see when you, when you start healing the gut. You may not, like for me, I can't eat gluten. Like I have an immune reaction to gluten. I can never bring it back. Can I cheat at a holiday party and have a little bit? If there's something really good, yeah, I could. And sometimes I might make that decision and then I know I'm going to have to deal with the consequence. But what I've seen even working with patients is that the more you heal, the less it takes to recover from little indiscretions in the diet, you know, whereas before an indiscretion in the diet could mean two weeks of misery. Yep. Yep. Get glutened. And yeah. Do you use, I know we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but do you use, obviously you're a, what did I read in your bio? Consultant for orthomolecular products. They have a new amazing product, the DG Protect, um, an enzyme to help break down gluten and dairy, which I do like. What's your opinion on that? Do you feel like that's very helpful in times that you do intentionally cheat or sometimes it's accidental? It's not even intentional, but. Yeah. Sometimes it can be accidental. You go to a restaurant and they tell you everything's gluten-free, dairy-free, but 
the waiter sometimes doesn't know, or they're just telling you what they what you want to hear so that you're happy and they can get you off their plate. Well, um, I just did a presentation for orthomolecular on the ingredients in DG Protect, the glutolytic and dairylytic. And the evidence is really compelling. The ability of glutolytic to break down gluten peptides within 90 minutes, almost 100% of it is broken down. And it's because of the quality of the peptide in that, which is kind of, you could think of it as the new generation of DPP-4 but it's an endopeptidase and an exopeptidase. And what that means is if a protein, you know, say I'm taking this from my sounding bowl, this is my, I've got my sound bowl sitting here next to me, but let's say this is a protein. It's not folded right now, but endopeptidase are going to cut proteins in the middle and exopeptidases are going to cut them at the end. When you bring in both enzymes, then they chop it up really well and they can break down a protein really efficiently. And what this product does is it outperforms DPP-4. So the glutolytic is way faster and has a much stronger ability at breaking down those proteins like gluten in, in wheat, which is very difficult to break down by our own digestive system. So if you're going to go out and you're going to cheat, or you're just going to have a good time, then that's the time to pop in that extra enzyme support and at least reduce the likelihood because the, the more it's broken down in the, into its component amino acids, the less likely it's going to cause any sort of immunological reaction. And it's not going to damage the gut lining as much. So for those listeners, we're not saying you can eat gluten. We're saying if on occasion, like the holidays, you accidentally or intentionally choose to consume some, this can really lessen that burden on your body. So I have my patients who like to eat out and when they eat out, exactly. Yeah. yeah. When you eat out and, and you don't want to be stressed, like you might tell the, the, the restaurant you're gluten-free, dairy-free, or you might be embarrassed <laughs> to say it. I mean, I don't know. I have, I'm always like, yeah, I'm one of those. Uh, what's gluten-free? You can imagine when I go out with my, my science doctor friends, like, it's like, okay, we've got gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. <laughs> Uh, we vegan. can't have any <laughs> omega-6 oils. But that's how we should be eating. Okay. So Let what do you fry back. your food with? Do you use avocado oil or do you use... I do use... Uh, yeah. Me personally, yes. So let's come back. I want to talk about the gut aging connection since this is more of a longevity podcast. But you opened when you were telling us your story a little bit of how you developed leaky gut. And we've talked a little bit about that on the podcast. But can you differentiate... This is a more difficult question. But can you differentiate leaky gut symptoms versus kind of SIBO and even yeast overgrowth. So that's kind of a triad I, I see a lot. And sometimes patients have all, all of those, but can you kind of differentiate you know, quickly to the audience what those are, as you kind of mentioned, those were problems you were finding in your patients as you kind of became this gut specialty doctor? Yeah, absolutely. So SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what that means is that there is a higher concentration of bacteria present in the small intestine where they're not supposed to be present. And it could be an overgrowth of bacteria that normally live in the small intestine, like lactobacillus, or it could be bacteria that have migrated from the bigger reservoir of the gut microbiome, the large intestine, into the small intestine through the ileocecal valve. And it doesn't matter which type it is, it's going to cause the same types of symptoms Candida or fungal overgrowth is just basically an excess of yeast in the gut. 
the confusing thing is that you can have SIBO, you can have CFO, so small intestinal fungal overgrowth or candida as people know it, that you can have both of them at the same time. And both of these can lead to leaky gut. So now you can have a triple whammy. You've got SIBO, CFO, and you've got leaky gut. So small intestinal fungal overgrowth for CFO. So I almost, you know, one time I wrote a, a post about this and I said, you know, maybe we need to stop talking about SIBO and CFO and just start talking about SIBO, <laughs> which is small intestine microbial overgrowth. And microbial could be bacterial, it could be yeast, or it could be both. And I think if we think about it that way, then it becomes easier to not miss something with a patient. Because I think oftentimes if you think, oh, you just have SIBO and you're not thinking about CFO or Candida, but you haven't really ruled it out. You haven't ruled it in. You haven't ruled it out, but you're overlooking it. And then your patient is getting better from SIBO. And then suddenly they start having symptoms again. Well, is there SIBO coming back or is there something you missed? You raise a good point because for the listeners, the conventional approach, if your conventional doc even tests you for SIBO, but the conventional treatment approach is an antibiotic, which antibiotics would not treat the CFO, right? They could feed, potentially feed the yeast. And they can actually, antibiotics, what they do is they, they come in and they shift the ecology so they allow another predator to come in that's not affected by the antibiotic. In this case, they, they can allow yeast overgrowth by decimating the presence of good bacteria as well. So what I've seen over the years, a lot of times is someone has SIBO, they see a conventional doctor, they get an antibiotic, they feel better for anywhere between one and three months, and then they start feeling worse again Similar symptoms, so SIBO and CFO, candida, they can masquerade, they can look the same, but they're different underlying causes. And the question there is, do they have repeat SIBO or do they now have candida, which was triggered by being put on antibiotics? And the fact that they, they started, their foundation wasn't good. The reason that they developed, you have to go backwards in pathophysiology, like, well, why did this person develop SIBO in the first place? Or do they have low stomach acid, which is something that, that increases with age? So the older you are, the more likely you are to have lower stomach acid. With lower stomach acid, you're not as protected from bacteria and yeast that come naturally are found on food, that come through the food. So that puts you at a higher risk for developing a bacterial overgrowth or a fungal overgrowth in the small intestine. So you really have to think about all those things because what we do in functional medicine is we look for the root cause of the condition. We don't just stop by treating the condition. We're looking at what was the underlying process in the first place that caused this person to develop these symptoms. And when we, you know, we started by talking about you know, the connection between SIBO, CFO, and leaky gut. And also, I think very important to note for people is that leaky gut is like the portal to many other chronic conditions in the body. Yes, that was my next so question for you. So it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's connected to everything. So to the lungs, to asthma, to allergies, to migraines, to... Um, 
brain health issues, mental fog, endometriosis, you know, even reproductive issues. Yeah. So all of that hormonal balance, autoimmunity, all of these things can have a common factor in leaky gut. So how and kind of why? So as functional medicine practitioners, we know this, but can you share with the audience? So what is that connection? So how does leaky gut contribute to asthma or endometriosis or eczema or whatnot? Leaky gut is going to, is almost like downstream process from what caused it. So usually leaky gut is happening in the setting of antibiotics, of a poor diet, of excess alcohol intake, high stress, exposure to over-the-counter medicines like ibuprofen. And even, you know, I found this interesting because a study showed that acetaminophen can cause dysbiosis imbalance between good and bad bugs, and that leads to leaky gut. So we used to just say that NSAIDs lead to leaky gut, but now we know that even um, acetaminophen, which is not an NSAID, can also lead to leaky gut. Birth control pill leads to leaky gut. And leaky gut then allows for more inflammation to becoming, inflammatory factors to be coming in through that gut interface. That can be endotoxin. It can be actually bacteria. Bacterial DNA has been found in the bloodstream of people, especially the, the leakier the gut. And that turns on an inflammatory cascade that is going to be expressed in different ways by different people. So one person, maybe their Achilles heel is their brain. So they're gonna have more brain symptoms. Another person, their Achilles heel is the lungs. So they're gonna have a lot of lung symptoms or they might have allergies or allergies. It's amazing what happens when you clean out the diet, you fix the gut, then other issues just start to improve that a lot of times you don't, you just don't expect, like uh, people will be surprised. Like I fixed my diet, my gut is better, but now my, my sinuses aren't inflamed like they used to be. It is amazing. It, it is amazing. And I think that's what's very rewarding about what we do is many times without drugs, <laughs> we just see a tremendous healing process and the patients get to see the power of what their body can do. It really can heal itself. Yeah. So thank you for explaining that. So let's come back to this concept of inflammaging. You kind of just talked about that as far as how inflammation can manifest in different organ systems, but how does that tie into aging? Very important. That endotoxin, so when you have leaky gut and endotoxin, also known as LPS or lipopolysaccharide, which has an incredible ability to get through membranes. So it can get through the blood-brain barrier, uh, which is a protected barrier that you know creates a protected circulation for the brain. Well, that LPS can get through there, and there are receptors for LPS in the hypothalamus. They're called toll-like receptors. And when that receptor gets activated, it turns on a whole cascade um, it's kind of like a domino effect. So just imagine once that receptor gets activated, it sets off this whole domino effect inside the cell that turns on the expression of the NF-kappa B, which then turns on a whole bunch of inflammatory genes. Well, what is an inflamed brain, an inflamed hypothalamus? It's depressed, maybe anxious. It's having mental fog. It's having memory issues because memory starts in the, the hypothalamus. And so we talk about these things and these are kind of like the things we associate with aging, like not remembering things, forgetting where you put your keys, uh, having word uh, recall difficulties, not remembering what the thought that you just had, it just escaped you. 
These are all signs that can happen from a shrinking hypothalamus that can be related to leaky gut, amongst other things. The other connection, you know, if we want to tie it back into the brain and the the gut-brain connection is the HPA axis. And when people are highly stressed, they're in fight or flight, which is very common these days. Uh, Their cortisol levels are high. That causes a disturbance in the gut microbiome. So you get more unfavorable bugs that increases the permeability of the gut. And high cortisol in the brain causes the hypothalamus to shrink. And that leads to memory issues. Did you hear that, listeners? (laughs) Say that again. High cortisol (laughs) causes the hypothalamus to shrink? Yeah. Yikes. And just think, you know, if you have high cortisol, you're in fight or flight, that means that you're in this catecholamine surge. And what I teach people is that catecholamines are like an attack on the gut. They basically um, increase the permeability of the gut lining. So it becomes this cascade of events. And once you've got shrinking of the hypothalamus, it's going to take a lot of work to rebuild that. You know, you've got to work on the diet. You've got to work on gut health. You've got to work on a lot of things to help to start to rebuild memory and brain health. Sure. Well, tell me, is there a microbiome of aging? That's a really great question. And there have been studies done on how the microbiome evolves as we age. And there's definitely differences in the makeup of the the microbiome. And one of the factors that they think is responsible for aging is that as people age, the microbiome starts to shift and there there, there may be more bacteria in the microbiome that support inflammation than bacteria that support anti-inflammation. I ran into a study that was really interesting. It was done looking at centenarians. So kind of going backwards and thinking, you know, centenarians seem to have this decreased susceptibility to illnesses everything. that we, <laughs> what's that? So to everything. <laughs> yeah. Like to, to chronic inflammation, to infectious diseases, And they asked the question, is there something about the gut microbiota that gives centenarians this greater resistance? Yeah, Yeah, like more resistance to infection, to environmental stressors. And in this one study, they they looked at uh, centenarians and they actually discovered a new secondary biometabolite that was called isoallolithocholic acid. And for anyone who doesn't know what bile metabolites are, you know, so your, your liver produces bile and bile's part of what helps us emulsify the fats in the foods that we eat. So we can absorb the fats, we can absorb fat soluble vitamins and bile is also an antimicrobial. People might not realize this, but sometimes people who have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth actually just have bile acid uh, deficiency. They're not producing enough bile, or maybe they've had their gallbladder out. So they're more susceptible. Well, there are bacteria in the gut that take those bi- those primary bile acids and they metabolize them into these secondary bile acids. And they play important roles both in the body and in the gut. And what they found was centenarians were producing a secondary bile acid that was, and, there, and it's a series of them. So there's a couple of different iso, three-oxo, allo, iso-allo, lithocholic acid. And what this secondary bile acid metabolite 
seemed to be able to do is it had antimicrobial properties against gram-positive multi-drug-resistant pathogens, including C. diff and Enterococcus faecium, which are two inflammatory types of bacteria that might live inside a person's gut, inside the microbiome. And they also had strains of a type of bacteria called Autoribacteraceae, (laughs) which, don't you love these names? (laughs) You pronounced it well. I wouldn't have been able to pronounce it. I was like, how did I do that? (laughs) They're able to take the bile acid and metabolize it into this secondary bile acid metabolite that seems to have some benefit in reducing their risk of infection and maintaining a healthy gut environment. You know, and and I think it's such a great thing to ask, like, you know, look at centenarians and ask, you know, what is different about their gut microbiome that why have they lived this many years? Why, you know, why them and others not so much? Get a fecal transplant from a centenarian. Just kidding. So what did we take from that study, though? So do you think that, and maybe I'm pulling at strings here, but do you think more individuals should be taking bile as they age? I mean, would that be helpful to help regulate pathogenic load? And is that is that maybe a take home from that? I think it's a good question. I think for anyone who, especially if they do a stool analysis and they find that there's fat malabsorption in the stool analysis, they should be taking some form of comprehensive enzyme that has bile in it. A lot of these people also need to look at their ability to break down protein and they might need to be taking betaine HCL to augment stomach acid in order to be able to break down their protein. And a lot of times you'll find comprehensive enzymes that have both the betaine HCL, they have the proteases, and they've got the ox bile to help the person, you know, comprehensively break down protein and absorb fat in a way that's going to be friendlier to the body. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think this is really important. And what a lot of people don't realize, and I've seen over the years is as my patients get older, they'll tell me, oh, I, I don't, I'm eating less meat now because I just don't digest it well. I hear that too. Yeah. And it might not be the best thing for them because they, they still need protein in healthy amounts in order to maintain lean body mass. And they might not even be breaking down the plant proteins properly because if they're starting to eat less meat because they don't digest it properly, that's a sign of low stomach acid. Yep. And that's also something we can find on the stool test that you were alluding to. Like we can check to see if literally patients are pooping out their fats. We can also look to see if they're pooping out their protein, suggestive that they need some hydrochloric acid to help with digestion there too. So a really comprehensive stool test from a functional medicine practitioner can help you really determine what your your needs are that we've been talking about. So do you feel like it's important to live in multi-generational households? And why is that important? What, what does that have to do with our microbiome? Is there a relationship there? That's a great question. So I went to the Microbiome Congress pre-pandemic, so I think it was 2019, and listened to a presenter from McGill University, I believe, in Canada, who was doing studies of multi-generational microbiomes. And what they found was that Because we also, in these multi-generational households is where we find a lot of centenarians. What she was finding is that older people who lived in multi-generational households had a younger fingerprint of their microbiome than ones that didn't. And the theory was that there was 
some sharing of microbiome that was happening by being in a house with little kids, with teenagers, with other people that were younger, that they were actually, you know, kind of like cross-pollinating their microbiomes and keeping their own microbiome younger than what it would be if you were just living separately and aging. So I think it's something to, to explore. And even I know now, like people are exploring these conscious living communities. So kind of like the, the next iteration of a retirement community, but instead of just being for old people, actually being a multi-generational conscious living community where there are kids or people of all ages, and maybe that's a better way to look at the way we should be aging, not aging, like saying, yeah. okay, you're old now go live with other old people only yeah. and be separate from all the younger people. There are yeah, so many strengths and I think yeah, mixing the different age demographics. I, I love that. I love hearing that. So again, back to just how this is a longevity podcast, what impact do you think intermittent fasting has on longevity and kind of gut health? Is there a relationship there? First of all, when you fast, one thing that you're doing is you're giving your gut a rest. And during that rest, your gut has a chance when it's not digesting, it's repairing. And while you're fasting, um, your gut can turn on all the repair processes. And depending on, you know, women or male, the, the healthier across the board fast is a 12 hour overnight fast. That's okay for everyone. When you start getting into longer fast, they tend to not be as good for women than men. The thing to know about fasting and aging is, look, you reduce your inflammation, you're reducing endotoxemia, you're allowing repair of those tight junctions in the guts, so you're allowing the permeability of the gut to reset. So it does a lot of these really great things. What you don't want to do when you're fasting is get your body into a stress mode because maybe you're eating too little, you know, so you can take fasting to extreme and then you're not eating enough. And then your body is starting to feel stressed. You start becoming biophysically stressed, which means then we go back to the high cortisol, the catecholamines and the leaky gut and the effects on the brain. So there's a balance there. But I do find that a lot of my patients, especially as my patients get older, they enjoy fasting and they find that they think more clearly when they're fasting. Um, and the brain runs better on ketones than it does on sugar. Even just considering the type of diet that one is adhering to as we get older, I often joke with my patients that the body is like playing a board game that changes the rules on you as you get older, but doesn't tell you what the rules have changed to. You have to figure it out by playing the game. Now, mm. sometimes playing the game means that you're playing it with the old rules from when you were 20 in your 20s and 30s, and then you start gaining weight and you don't understand why. Well, you're eating too many refined carbs. You're eating too much sugar. And whereas before you could cut it out for a week and you would start losing weight. Now your body doesn't do that. The rules well, changed on you. Yeah. The rules changed. <laughs> yeah. The board game rules changed. And you've got to be savvy and keep up with the rule changes if you want to stay healthy into your later years. You might not know this, but building a healthy gut or gastrointestinal system is one of the most important things you should be working on to maintain your health and longevity. That's why actually in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I devote the entire first chapter to the gut. 
I like to compare the gut or gastrointestinal system to the foundation of your home. You have to have a strong gastrointestinal system upon which to build great health. So with that in mind, I want to share a few tips to help you do just that. The first step with improving your gut health is to clean up your diet, removing inflammatory foods, foods you may have sensitivities towards, and treating gut infections. Like I mentioned, I get into this in a lot more depth in chapter one of my book. Once you've done that, however, there are also some amazing nutrients that exist to help you heal further. Two of my favorite Your Longevity Blueprint combination powder products for helping patients heal their guts are called Gut Shield and GI Support. Gut Shield contains several important ingredients, including glutamine and zinc. Glutamine is the most important non-essential amino acid for gut healing, and zinc is a top mineral for gut healing as well. Gut Shield also contains N-acetyl-D-glucosamine and aloe vera. N-acetyl-D-glucosamine is a mucin precursor that has been shown to increase the production of mucus within the GI tract. This is beneficial in coating the tract and protecting it. Gut Shield also contains deglycerized licorice root extract, also known as DGL, a form of licorice root that does not contain glycerizin, which can raise blood pressure. Licorice has been known to treat and heal ulcers. It works as a demulcent to soothe the irritated tissue. It's antispasmodic, anti-inflammatory, and anti-allergenic. Aloe vera has been used throughout history to promote a normal inflammatory response. You may have used it on your cuts, scrapes, or burns as a child. Studies have shown that aloe vera is also specifically beneficial to the gastric mucosa, in part through its ability to balance stomach acid levels and promote healthy mucus production. All these gut healing nutrients are packed into one little scoop of powder that can be added to a beverage of your choice or mixed into a smoothie. I recommend patients consume this consistently for at least three months for gut healing. My second favorite product for gut healing is called GI Support, a gut healing protein powder containing glutamine as well. The difference here is that GI Support is also loaded with natural anti-inflammatories like turmeric. It also contains arabinogalactins, which serve as prebiotic fiber. And it contains green tea extract, also known as EGCG, a potent antioxidant that further helps to reduce inflammation. It's the Cadillac of gut healing powders because it has protein, the amino acid glutamine, prebiotics, anti-inflammatories, and antioxidants all in one scoop. And yes, it can be combined with Gut Shield. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily while focusing on cleaner eating. These products aren't needed forever, but they sure help expedite the healing process of your gut lining. Check out more product information on our website and use code HEALGUT for 10% off either product. That's Gut Shield or GI Support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. I love that. I've never heard that. That's great. That explains a lot. Got to figure out those rules. Okay. (laughs) I know you're also very passionate about the gut-brain connection. So you've alluded to this a little bit already today, but how can improving our gut health really improve mental health? Yeah. The first thing to really think about there is the vagus nerve and the connection, one of the cranial nerves and, and its connection between the brain and the brainstem and the gut, because it's controlling a lot of what's going on in the brain. I call it the telephone wire between the gut and the brain that allows the gut and the brain to speak to each other. The thing is there are more wires, I think 80% pointing up to the brain from the gut than from the brain down to the gut. So there's actually more feedback going to the brain And it turns out that our little gut bugs are producing neurotransmitters like serotonin and the vagus nerve has 5-HT receptors at its nerve endings in the gut. So when those little gut bacteria produce serotonin, they bind to the 5-HT receptor at the end of that, of the, the afferent neuron for the vagus nerve. 
and sends an impulse to the brain. And those impulses can do different things. And one of the things that are one of the neurotransmitters that's secreted through a vagal impulse is GABA, which is gamma amino butyric acid, an inhibitory neurotransmitter that kind of calms things down. But it's that vagus nerve is really key to the health of both the brain as well as the gut. And what happens with people with mental health issues like depression and anxiety is they lose vagal tone. So imagine vagal tone as the dial tone on your telephone in the olden days when you remember that. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody has these anymore, but <laughs> when you used to pick up the phone and it had a dial tone. I had one right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the dial tone basically was there to let you know that the phone is working, that it's not dead. And remember when you pick up the dial tone and you don't hear anything and then you're like pressing, like, where's the dial tone? Well, same thing. There's a dial tone between your brain and your gut and it's going through the vagus nerve. And when you lose that dial tone, that vagal tone, then you develop leaky gut. You don't produce enough digestive enzymes. But in the opposite direction, you start seeing depression. You start seeing anxiety. And there's actually been studies done uh, with treatment uh, resistant depression where they used a vagal nerve stimulation device, an electric stim device, and found that people who they've had exhausted all remedies, they had tried all types of treatments, medications to reverse the depression, that using a vagal nerve stimulation device was actually able to reverse think up to 30% of people with major depressive disorder. That's remarkable. Like, wow, like something without medication can actually, and all you did was stimulate the vagus nerve here in the neck because it runs down the neck and into the, the GI tract. So it just highlights the importance of maintaining that vagal tone as one of the keys to healthy aging. And there are a lot of fun things that we can do to maintain vagal tone from deep diaphragmatic breathing to sign like uh, like big, deep uh, sighs of relief and, and saying, ha, ah, like really producing a vibration here in the vocal cords or humming along to your favorite song or singing in the shower. Gargling, or, yeah. Yep. Or gargling. There's so many ways that we can activate and stimulate that vagus nerve to keep that underlying tone active which is both important for gut health, but also mental health. So that I, that's something I think that a lot of people don't, don't know and aren't aware about is that telephone wire between their gut and their brain and, and how important it is to maintain the channel of communication between the two. I love that. I'm putting you on the spot here, but in a recent speak-off, I guess that you would call it a speak-off event that you were in for our health entrepreneur group. I, you said something in your presentation that I want to come back to. I, I think you said something about taking one round of antibiotics per year, increase the risk of depression, a certain percentage. Do you know what I'm alluding to? I think what I said is that I think the statistics that I had said was that in the last month alone, 44 million Americans had taken an antidepressant. And one in five, I think now it's two in five adults report having a mental health issue. Wow. It's something that's really big. It's present. And thank you for bringing that up because another thing that I talked about in that presentation was, you know, maybe the the next generation of treatments for mental health is actually in the gut using 
a type of probiotic known as a psychobiotic or bacteria that have beneficial effects on brain health because of the secondary metabolites that they produce. Maybe they're producing butyrate or they help lower anxiety in the brain. They might produce GABA. Uh, and there are certain types of probiotic bacteria that have been shown to do this in studies. One, for example, is Lactobacillus plantarum DR7. So DR7 is the particular strain. So it goes from genus species to, uh, to strain. These probiotic bacteria are very specific. Uh, different strains do different things. And this one in studies was shown to reduce anxiety in the participants. So really fascinating because I think it starts to open up the question of how we're approaching mental health by treating the symptom using SSRI, serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors that increase serotonin at the synapse versus thinking about, well, how can we improve the gut-brain connection so that then maybe the depression can stop, uh, start lifting? And we know that some of these bacteria, because of what they produce, they also help stimulate the vagus nerve. So they play a role in that vagal tone that is so important for mental health. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, I want to come back to just some easy take-homes for the listeners. So you've already mentioned kind of what contributes to poor gut health as far as, well, poor vagal tone, taking antibiotics, right, eating, eating crappy foods. What are some things the listeners can do now to improve? If they don't have a functional medicine practitioner, although I recommend they find one, you know, who, they don't have access to, to fancy testing, what are some easy things they could do today to help start improving their gut health? Absolutely. Look, number one, number one is work on your stress. If all you do is just learn to breathe better, like you're going to improve your gut health. You're going to improve your internal state of being. Uh, you're going to improve your ability to focus, to be present, to take in the world around you. So I think that that is number one, because it covers so many bases. Like even just learning how to do deep di diaphragmatic breath work or even box breathing, uh, which is a breathing technique that was developed by Navy SEALs <laughs> to deal with stressful situations. And then secondly, meditation, because it's so important. I, I tell people that breath work is the portal to meditation. So it's the pathway because you can't like, if you're stressed and your mind is all over the place, how can you sit down and then just start meditating? You no, you <laughs> sit down or you walk, you start with breath work. And then once you feel that internal shift, then you can sit down and meditate and shift your mind. And we know that when you meditate, it shifts the, the circulation patterns in the brain and it activates the lymphatics. It does so many things that are good for brain health, but it's also going to calm the body. And it's so important to be in the parasympathetic state of rest and digest in order to have a healthier digestion. You know, just think of when you've been stressed about something and you've got like a, a knot in your throat or you've got a knot in your stomach and you lose your appetite. Like, I think everybody can relate to that. And, and if you can, then you see there is such a powerful connection between the brain and the gut. And the body does as the brain thinks the brain does as the body feels. 
it's a bi-directional thing. We can influence our gut by the way that the thoughts that we are holding, what we're experiencing in our body. So creating a feeling of safety through breath work and meditation, I think is really important. The other thing that we learned this year from a study done in Stanford University is that if you want to increase microbial diversity in the gut, and for anybody listening, microbial diversity is like the holy grail. If you've got microbial diversity, it's a beautiful ecosystem. There's a lot of different players in there, and they help keep things in balance, and they reduce inflammation in your body, which is the common factor in aging and in chronic disease. And what they found in this study was that there were two things that were actually improved by a diet that was high in fermented foods. One was microbial diversity, and two, it lowered 19 different inflammatory markers. Wow. And that was a diet high in fermented foods. Now, if you're not, if you haven't been eating fermented foods, don't go out and buy a vat of, of sauerkraut and then just start like going crazy with sauerkraut. Don't do what Americans do. That is like, you know, if a little is good, a lot is going to even be better. If you haven't eaten fermented foods, you've got to introduce them very slowly. You start with a teaspoon, then a tablespoon, you experiment, you see how it sits with you because incorporating ferments can cause die off of bad things in the gut. And that die off can make you feel kind of crappy inside. So don't do it all at once. Now, if you want to eat in a way that modulates your immune response that and improves gut health at the same time, you've got to increase your fiber intake. So if we're looking at two ways that we can improve gut health, increase the amount of fermented foods, increase your dark leafy greens, increase your vegetables, incorporate some garlic, some onions into your cooking that have nice prebiotics. Uh, dandelion greens, also rich in prebiotics, some of the bitters, all these things um, are really good for gut health. I'm also a big fan of broths, whether vegetable broth or bone broth for healing the gut. And in terms of nutrients, one of the best nutrients uh, that can basically tip the scales of healing in the gut is L-glutamine, which is one of the most abundant amino acids in the body, but when taken uh, as a powder and, or, you know, you can also take it as capsules. It's just easier to take it as a powder. It helps the, the cells that line the small intestine heal their permeability. So it helps seal up those tight junctions um, and reverse leaky gut. It can be a game changer for people to incorporate uh, L-glutamine as part of the gut healing protocol. All fabulous tips. I, I, everything you say makes me want to ask you another question, and I promise we'll wrap this up here. <laughs> but I want to ask about when you were mentioning eating fermented foods, like introducing them too quickly, you know, potential is that it, that could cause die-off. That made me think about serum-derived immunoglobulins. So do, is that something that you support? Are you for them? Can you just explain a little bit about why those are important for gut health and full body health, actually? But. So serum-derived immunoglobulins are coming from cows. And the great thing about them is they bypass the problem that we run into with colostrum or immunoglobulins derived from milk because they can still have some of the milk solids in them. And for anybody who's dairy sensitive, that can be problematic. So you avoid that by using an SBI or serum-derived bovine immunoglobulin. The great thing about immunoglobulin is it's not going to be absorbed into your circulation. It actually stays in the gut. 
They're antibody molecules that look like goalposts, and they're designed to bind to antigens. What types of antigens might they encounter in your gut? Well, they might see endotoxin, for example, and bind to that endotoxin. And when they do that, the endotoxin now can't cross your gut barrier, your gut interface, and enter your body. They can also see a whole bunch of other, they bind to C. diff toxins A and B. They can also bind to CDTs, cytolethal distending toxins that come from E. coli, salmonella, campylobacter. So they can bind to a lot of different toxins that damage the gut lining and increase gut permeability and increase inflammation. So when you're working with a patient to heal their gut, SBIs can be really helpful if you're treating things like SIBO, yeast overgrowth, where you're expecting that there's going to be die-off. And in order to kind of dampen the die-off effect and protect the gut lining, you can add SBIs as part of a protocol. You might be treating them with a spore-based probiotic. You might be using antimicrobial herbs, and you're expecting the person's going to have some level of die-off, especially if they're coming in with a lot of leaky gut-related symptoms, lots of mental fog, achiness, joint aches, uh, body aches, fatigue. So you can give the patient SBIs, and that can help mitigate the issue um, and actually help basically augment the healing process, speed it up, speed it up. Did you know that 80% of our immune system resides in the gut? It's true, which means mucosal immunity is one of the most important factors in determining overall immune health. The mucosal barrier is at the center of interactions between the immune system and the outside world. An overabundance of microbes or toxins can and often do overload and trigger negative immune reactions, which have sweeping effects throughout the body. Fortunately, we can protect ourselves with something called SBIgG. SBIgG is the only purified, dairy-free source of immunoglobulin G, IgG, available as a dietary supplement. Pure IgG helps to maintain a healthy intestinal immune system by binding a broad range of microbes and toxins within the gut lumen. Simply put, when the toxins are bound to SBIgG, they cannot interact with our immune system and we're better protected from illness and disease. Free from dairy, saturated fats, cholesterol, sugars, GMOs, hormones, and antibiotics, SBIgG is a safe choice for all patient types. With over 40 human clinical trials for a broad range of patient types, SBIgG is my go-to choice to help support the immune cells in our GI tract. This comes in a powder or capsule version. Use code IgG for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Yes, if we're getting rid of the pathogens or the toxins that are contributing to inflammation and leak, you know, leaky gut, essentially, if we remove them, then yes, it's just going to expedite the healing process. With the diet changes, with supplements like glutamine, with stress reduction, right, all together <laughs> for the best outcome. So tell us, this has been wonderful. So tell us where can listeners connect with you, find you? I know you have a free gift as well. So please share. People can find me on Instagram at Dr. Pedre, uh, Facebook, Dr. Vincent Pedre. Uh, They can check out my website, Um, happygutlife.com. They can also look at my, find out more about the types of consultations that I offer at pedremd.com. And we've got a really great uh, gift for your audience that is actually our most popular free download. It's called the top 10 tips for a healthy, happy gut. And it's basically kind of like a quick and dirty cliff notes to everything that I talk about in my book, Happy Gut, all the pearls that are the great takeaways and really great advice, um, but also with some recipes for people to be able to make. 
uh, we get really great feedback from that. So I'm happy to share it with your audience. Well, I want to see that. I look forward to checking that out. Thank you. Uh, so last question, what is your top longevity tip? If you had to pick one, what is your top? I think one of my top longevity picks would be to carve out time every day to do something that doesn't involve a task, doesn't involve work, something that you just truly love. Because when you spend time doing something that you love, say you love to paint or say you, you enjoy playing an instrument or you enjoy writing in a journal, when you do something that you love and you expand on that, that feeling of love, what that then triggers in your brain is a release of oxytocin. And oxytocin is the antidote to cortisol, to high cortisol. It basically neutralizes cortisol and it helps calm the system. So it kind of ties back into the importance of stress management from a fun place, like do something that you really love. I mean, it could be like walking on the beach at sunset. You know, if you really love that, that's one of my things. Like I love doing that. That calms me. That brings me into a space of joy. If people can set aside time to do something like that every day and augment their feelings of joy and happiness, I think that's mm -hmm. for me, I think, you know, because it has so many other cascade effects in the body that are unmeasurable, but you can feel them. That is my one longevity tip for your audience. Yeah, that's beautiful. I tell patients do something that brings you joy, like every day, not once a quarter or once a month <laughs> yeah. or once a week. Like you're saying, carve out time every single day. I love that. I love that question. Like, what's a thing you do that you enjoy that brings you happiness? And a lot of times they just sit there and just look at me like, like I don't know. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> that's a problem. We got to find something. I got to work. I go to work. I come home. <laughs> yeah, got to find that. Yes, got to find that. Well, thank you so much today for coming on the show and really breaking down the gut brain aging chronic disease connection. So this was excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. Well, there you have it. Lots of tips to improve gut health, starting with vagal nerve stimulation. For more tips, check out Dr. Pedre's free gift, happygutlife.com forward slash top 10 tips. That's the number 10, which we'll post in the show notes. And if you're interested in that DG, Dairy Gluten Protect Enzyme, we discussed in the show, stop on into the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic or we ship nationally. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting.
The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.